Father, I want to thank you for your spirit with us. Thank you for all the testimonies we've had already of your goodness working in people's lives. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to communicate really well this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you've already been moving in our hearts, and I pray that you'd continue to change us and transform us to be more and more like Jesus. Thank you for your word, and as we worship over your word, I pray that it would come and it would release power into our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So for the visitors, we've been busy in Philippians for 19 weeks, and it always takes longer than I think it is going to take. But anyway, we are talking about Christ and what He's done for us. We're talking about joyful Christian living. That's the theme that we're exploring. The big picture theme is how can we live joyfully when all sorts of things happen to us in our lives? How can we continue to live joyfully? And uh, there's some wonderful, wonderful truths in Philippians. And so we have landed in Philippians chapter 3. Just remember, Paul is talking about now, he's uh, talking about Judaizers, people that have come into the church and said, you need to be a little bit more Jewish and you need to add some stuff to what Christ has done. And he's, he's trying to encourage the Christians in Philippi to say, actually, Jesus is absolutely all that you need. He's enough. You don't need anything else. You don't need to try and live according to a moral code. You don't need to get circumcised. You don't need to become... Uh, a Jewish person by nationality, Jesus is sufficient for you in every way for your life, and you have the privilege of learning to walk by the Spirit, and as you do that, He transforms your life. And that's what Paul is saying. And so here, um, Ed unpacked some of these verses last week in the most wonderful way. I listened to the podcast. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get onto the podcast and listen to what Ed uh, brought in the most wonderful way, and it will help to set some of the tone of what I'm going to say this morning. So here, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And last week, um, Ed talked about all the wonderful things we gain from Christ. And he unpacked that really wonderfully. And he says, that, uh, carries on, he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. And I want to look at this little phrase, faith in Christ, this morning. And I want to suggest to you that it more accurately should be the faithfulness of Jesus. And I'll explain why I believe that to be so. Through faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, the righteousness from God that comes or depends on faith. So Paul is making a very uh, pro profound point here. He's, he's trying to make quite clear to us in these verses that he's got this basic primary longing, this desire, this deep desire in his life to know Jesus. And so in order to know Jesus in his fullness, he's determined to throw off everything else that gets in the way. And so uh, uh, as we've been trying to preach into this over the last couple of weeks, it becomes clear when we look at these verses that Paul says everything that he lost anyway, everything that he was deprived of, all those things have actually helped him to know Christ and to gain Christ in his life. And that's what he's trying to say. Everything that has been a loss for him has actually helped him step by step to know Jesus in a deeper and more profound way than before. 
And so he's, an ado- he's adopted a direction for his life that he's determined to walk in. And as he throws off everything that was an advantage to him before, his nationality, his education, the fact that he was a Hebrew, he's thrown all of those things off for the sake of knowing Christ. And as he's done that, he's got to know Jesus in a deeper and deeper and more profound way. And so he's accepted this basic direction that God has for his life, even with all of the losses, because he knows ultimately he's coming closer and closer into relationship with Jesus. And so I want to just look at this little um, phrase, these amazing words. He says, I want to be found in Christ. So we're talking about the righteousness that comes through the faithfulness of Jesus. And I'd like to just look at this little phrase, what Paul says, to be found in him. And what does that mean? Well, it means quite simply that if anyone was to come and look for us, we would be found in Jesus. If any man, woman, or child comes to find us, we are in a very primary way to be found in Christ. We are located in Christ. And do you remember that when um, the Bible speaks of Jesus, it says that he was found in the appearance of a man, of a human being. In other words, if you were to look for Jesus, you would see him amongst ordinary people. He was in the, in the, the, as a human being, and he was, he was found in that way. And so this is the, the picture that Paul is using and saying in the same way, we are to be found, we are to be located in Christ. And so we sang it this morning, we are sons and daughters of God our Father. We are located in Jesus. When you get saved, the moment that you get saved, you are placed into Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. And you never fall out of Jesus once you are saved. All right? And so this is both an objective thing and a subjective thing. And I'd like to try and help us understand uh, this this morning. We, we know this as a fact, that we are in Christ, but we also know this in an, the experience of our lives. So it's, it's objectively true, and it's also subjectively true as we live and walk day by day. We are in Christ, and that's what I would like to look at this morning. And the easiest way to try and understand this is to think of the sunrise. Now, I grew up uh, on the coast in a little town in South Africa, and every day the sun used to rise between 530 to six o'clock in the morning, and it didn't vary much because of the position of, the, of, of uh, where this town Durban is. And so the sun rises every morning, and um, some people at six o'clock in the morning are still asleep, and they don't experience the sunrise. Objectively, the sun rises every day, but subjectively, you have to be awake to experience the beauty of the sunrise. Do you hear what I'm saying? So it's an objective, it's an objective truth. It always rises in the morning, but you don't always see it. If you are awake, you see it. If you are asleep, you don't enjoy it. And one of the favorite things I had as a student was to get up really early and go for a walk on the beach. I love the beach. The beach is my happy place, all right? And you go to the beach and you just have this beautiful experience of the sun rising over the ocean. And normally in the morning, the ocean is like glass. It's flat. And it's just incredibly beautiful and incredibly stirring. So you experience the sunrise objectively. It rises as a fact. And you also experience it subjectively, that you see it with your eyes and you feel it and you feel the warmth of the sun on your body. 
So this is what it means to be saved. It's objectively true. You are placed into Christ the moment you believe by faith. You are saved and you are never unsaved. You are saved and you are placed into Jesus. You are always a son and a daughter of God. And this is what people always ask me. And I don't feel always like a Christian. Well, you see, that's the thing. It's like the sunrise. Sometimes you feel the warmth of the sun. Sometimes you don't. uh, Subjectively, our position in Christ, sometimes we can feel more Christian. Sometimes we can feel less Christian. Sometimes we can feel that we are hearing the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we we feel like we don't hear the Holy Spirit. What is my point? Your feelings are very unreliable. Don't base your life on what you feel. Young people... You are being encouraged in your generation to build everything around what you feel. I want to say to you, your feelings are incredibly unreliable. Sometimes I feel like I'm not saved. Sometimes I say stupid things. Sometimes I say things that are hurtful to my wife and to my children. Does that make me not a Christian? Of course not. I am in Christ. I am always in Christ. Sometimes, subjectively, my experience of Jesus in my life goes up and down. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you identify with what I'm saying? Yes? So Paul is saying, what is he saying in the Scripture? He is saying that we need to learn that the righteousness we have received from Christ, when you get saved, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He gives His righteousness to you. It's like a garment that you put on, and His righteousness becomes yours. And when God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Jesus as a cloak over you, covering you. He doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of His Son on your life. Yes, that's always true. And then Paul is saying, what he's saying in this scripture, is that we have to learn that somehow the righteousness that we have received as a gift that is clothed on us, that righteousness begins to become a reality in how we live, and it transforms us from the inside. Do you get it? That's what he's saying. And so, the objective truth of all that Christ has done for us, and lavished His grace on us, and given to us as a gift, Paul is saying, We want to learn together how that becomes a living reality in our day-to-day experience. That's why he says this. I want to know Jesus. What is he saying? He knows that he's saved. He knows that he's a child of God. But he's saying, I want to know Jesus more and more in my day-to-day life. I want to experience him more and more in my day-to-day life. I thank God for what he's done, but I want to know him. The fullness of who He is. And because I want to know Him, I throw off everything. I count everything dung, rubbish, for the sake of knowing Christ. Now, I find this incredibly exciting, incredibly challenging. Do you know why? Because Paul had known Jesus for 30 years when he's writing this. He's been saved for 30 years. And the longing of his heart is, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Him more. Thank you for all that He's done. But God, I want to know your Son more. How many of you have been saved for 30 years? Yeah. I ask you as I ask myself, is the longing in our hearts still, Jesus, I want to know you. 
Or is it, ah, oh, you know, all that stuff, I know it. Heard all the stories, heard all the preaching. What can you, you know, what can anyone teach me? I know Jesus. Are you with me? That's why you see humility is so profoundly important in the Christian life, isn't it? Because every time we sit under preaching, every time we read the Bible for ourselves, every time we listen to a podcast, every time we sit under any kind of ministry, the longing of our heart should be, Jesus, what do you want to show me about yourself? What more do you want me to know, Lord Jesus? I want to know you more. What do you want to say to me today? I pray that as we go through this, this, um, this uh, series on Philippians, the longing of all our hearts is, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? I want to know you. I know Helen knows you. I know, I know Steve or whoever knows you, but I, I want to know you more. Please, won't you show more of yourself to me? That requires a humble heart. Regardless of how long we have known Jesus, let the longing of our hearts be together. Jesus, I want to know you. That's what Paul says. I want to experience you in my life. All that you've done, that you've clothed me with, I want it to become the reality of how I live. And that comes by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I have six little things. These are the things that we know are true because we are found in Christ. Sorry, I'm on my first point still. <laughs> first of all, we know as we are in Christ, what do we find? We find that righteousness starts to work powerfully in our lives. We gain Christ. And I've kind of said this already. It's, it's, it's not that Paul is speaking about being saved. It's true that he's saved, but he's saying that that, that stuff, that all that Christ has done is becoming true of in his life, subjectively experienced in his life. It's worked out. And so the theological word is, he's not talking about being saved. He's not talking about being justified. He's been talking about, the theological word is sanctification, how you are transformed. What happens day by day as you listen to the voice of the Spirit, what God does. And what does that mean? It means God says to me, and change your attitude to Helen this morning. When you got out of bed, you were not kind. You were grumpy. My son, I love you. It's not good for you to do that in your home. Because you know what? It sets the tone for the whole day. And if you are grumpy, then she's grumpy. She gets a little, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Of course you do. Don't pretend you don't know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That is sanctification. That is learning to hear the voice of the Spirit. And he puts his little finger on a little thing in your life and say, Okay, Jesus, I hear you. I'm going, to trans I'm going to trust you. Help me to change. That's being sanctified. That is the objective righteousness of Christ that he has given you as a gift, becoming more and more true moment by moment, day by day, as you hear his voice and you hear his Spirit and you obey his Spirit. You with me? That's what Paul is saying. And so... This personal righteousness that God has given us as a gift is experienced in our day-to-day living. And it doesn't come by rules. That's what I've tried to say for many, many years now. It doesn't come by following rules. It comes by hearing the voice of His Spirit. That's why Paul, I think the right translation of this, when I looked at the Greek, the Greek says, the faithfulness of Jesus when you say faith in Jesus, it, means, it sounds like you're talking about being saved. I must put my faith in Jesus, saved. But Paul is not talking about being saved. He's talking about the faithfulness of Jesus that helps you day by day to become more like him. That comes by, your, by his spirit. Are you with me? And so when you read that, read rather, 
not faith in Christ, but the faithfulness of Jesus. You depend for your life on the faithfulness of Jesus. What He's done, how His Spirit is working, and all you do is you hear Him and say, I obey, and then He transforms you to be more and more like His Son. All right, that's the first thing. We are saved by grace through faith, plus nothing. We continue by grace through persistent faith in Jesus, plus nothing. (laughs) You don't add on a whole lot of stuff after you're saved. You just have a heart that says, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to continue to know you and help me to hear your Holy Spirit so I can know you even better. Moment by moment, day by day, for the rest of my life, let that be the cry of my heart. Jesus, I want to know you. That's the first thing that happens because we are in Christ. The second thing that happens because we are in Christ, Paul says it. He says in verse um, 10 and 11, that I might know him. So we grow in our knowledge of Christ. If you go to the next slide, I think. And, uh, you go, go, go grow in our knowledge of Christ. The unfortunate thing is that when we read this portion, verse 8 to verse 11 are actually one sentence. One sentence, 80 words in the original Greek language. So it's very hard to understand. You've got to kind of piece it all together. Here in verse 10, Paul is continuing with an idea that he has already started in verse 8. And so I, I think it's better if we put it in a, in a start a new sentence in English. And he, he, I think it's better to think about it like this. Paul is saying, my purpose in my life is to know Christ. That's what he's really saying. That I might know him. We can start it with a new sentence. The purpose of my life is to know Jesus. My purpose is to get to know him as a living person, to get to know him as a friend, as a companion. I want a deeper and deeper knowledge of him in my life. You see, it's one thing to know the Bible. I love the Bible. I love to study the Bible. It's one thing to study the Bible and to know it that way. What Jesus, Paul is saying is, I want to know Jesus, not in an intellectual way, but as my friend, as my companion, as the Holy Spirit walks beside me as the Parakletos. That's how I want to know Jesus. The challenge is, how do we know Jesus? Do we know him like that in our hearts? Are we continually opening our hearts and saying, the purpose of my life is to get to know him? Thirdly, Paul says not only do we get to know him, he also says that we get to experience the power of the resurrection. Come on now. The power of the resurrection. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection in my life. Well, there's all kind of different kinds of power, isn't it? Uh, I think most of us in our country right now are disappointed in political power. Anyone here in this room really encouraged about political power right now? Anyone? That's political power. There's financial power. Are we just, you know, have enough money? We'll be okay. What about social power or intellectual power? If I can just have my brain working sufficiently and get a good education, that's going to be cool. Ecclesiastical power, you know, how the church is organized and there's power, some power in that. But Paul is not talking about those kinds of power. He wants supernatural power that doesn't come from him. He wants the power of the resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He wants to know that in his life. Are you with me? And so when you speak about resurrection power, people normally think about signs and wonders. Yes, we want signs and wonders. We want healing. We want all the supernatural aspects of that. But when Paul talks about resurrection power, he is talking about something much bigger than that. Much bigger. 
Here, he has a couple of things that Paul means when he, he talks about resurrection power. It is signs and wonders, absolutely. But it also is the resurrection power is the absolute assurance that you know in your knower that you are a son or a daughter of God. That is part of resurrection power. That you know you are saved. I had a guy in this church many years ago. He's not part of this church anymore. He went to, to another country. And part of his struggle was that he didn't feel and know that he was saved. He said, how can I be sure that I was saved? That I am saved. And so I try to help him, try to try and show him how he could know. But you see, that's part of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, is that you absolutely just know. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I can't explain it. I think I'm quite eloquent in some ways, but I can't explain it any better. I always use this phrase, you know in your knower that you are saved. There's something inside of you that knows the Spirit of God. And you know in that place that you are His Son that you are his daughter. And therefore you can sing like we sang this morning, who the son has set free is free indeed. And you mean it from the depths of your being because you know it's true. You know you are his son. You know you are his daughter. That you've been plucked out of one your, part of your life and you've been thrust into a whole new future and you can just relax and enjoy that because you are his son. You are his daughter. That's the power of the resurrection at work in you. Secondly, what does Paul say? Uh, it's, it's, uh, resurrection power is knowing that you have been raised in your life and experiencing that resurrection in your life. What does that mean? Well, part of resurrection power is being able to say no to sin. You see? That's when the righteousness that has been given you as a gift becomes a reality in your life. You are able, you have the power to say no. You have the power to say no to things that are not good for you. You have the power to say no to things that are going to destroy you. You're able to say no. That is part of resurrection power in your life, enabling you to say, to this thing, I say no. I don't care what the culture is saying. I don't care what my friends are saying. I want to know Jesus, and so I say, to this thing, I say no. You're not good for me. You're not going to do me good. You're not going to help me to become more and more like Jesus. And that's the highest goal of my life. So I say no. That's part of resurrection power. Part of resurrection power is being able to be a witness for Christ. What does Acts 1.8 say? Wait and you will receive power to be what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So too many Christians are afraid of their neighbors are afraid of their fellow students, are afraid of the other employees at work. But Jesus said, if you have resurrection power on the inside, you will have power to be my witness. There's only one way to be a witness for Christ, and that's to live on Him day by day. There's only one way. It's, there's only one way. It's to kiss your reputation goodbye. It's to kiss your, your uh, standing in society good, to, goodbye and say, I no longer count that as an advantage. I want one thing in my life, and that's to know Jesus. And so I'm happy to be the butt of people's jokes. I'm happy to have all that stuff said about me because the highest goal of my life is to know Christ and to be a witness for Him. Yeah. That's what Paul is saying. That is resurrection power. I want to put to you that resurrection power is joy. Resurrection power is joy. 
I told you the story went to a, uh, I'm getting a little bit excited this morning, so I'll try and keep it <laughs> to, because uh, we want to pray for people. We went into this church in, this, in, this, in, this, this, in Estonia, and the guy leading the church was so heavy. And he said, like, oh, things are not going well. It's, it's been so tough. For, and I, I know what that's like when things are not going well. But Jesus has been speaking to me about joy. And he's been saying to me that joy is of the highest spiritual worship. Joy is the most profoundly spiritual thing. Why? Because the Bible says to be joyful is showing something of the strength of God in your life. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, it's easy to be joyful when things are going well, isn't it? You all know that. When you've got enough money in the bank and there's no sickness in your family and everything's rocking and rolling, it's easy to be joyful. Even the pagans are joyful when things are going well. Come on now. What is it about being Christian? By faith. When Jesus is all that you are living by, when things are not going well, you can still have this deep joy in your life, a strength that no other people have because you know Christ is sufficient for you. You know you have an eternal destiny. You know that this temporal thing that we are in right now is not the end. We're going to be resurrected one day with Him. That's the end for Christians. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. Maybe you think what you're saying right now is absolute junk. Well, I challenge you to listen a little bit longer. And I want to say to you lovingly that I'm absolutely convinced of these things because Jesus has done them in my life and he is showing me more and more of himself and his word is true. I am not living for this life. I am living for eternity where one day I'm going to hear God say to me, well done. That's what I'm living for. And I want to encourage you to live in that same way, wanting the resurrection of the dead to attain that. Paul says it here. We're going to look at it. I'm getting ahead of myself. Resurrection power is the power to pray. How many of you find it difficult to pray? I do. Whenever I want to pray, my mind goes, ching, 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 ching. And I suddenly start thinking of 50,000 things that I wasn't thinking of before I decided to pray. Do you ever notice that? You can be absolutely calm. Just kind of walking along, Jesus, I want to pray right now. Suddenly your mind's going, ging, ging. why is that? Well, the devil hates it when you pray. Because <laughs> when you pray, you're saying, Jesus, I'm trusting you with my future. I'm not trying to work it all out by myself. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to live in a, in a wise way. But Jesus, at the end of the day, I trust you. The devil doesn't like it when you do that. So he'll do everything that he can to distract you from praying. Resurrection power is the power to pray. Resurrection power is to know the knowledge of God's will. Resurrection power is when our community starts to be transformed because we are living differently. That's resurrection power. And so all I'm trying to say to you that when Paul says, I want to know Jesus, and the power of the resurrection, he is certainly speaking about signs and wonders, absolutely, but he's also speaking about everything else I've just mentioned to you. All of those things for Paul are evidence of the resurrection power. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then, because Paul is very kind, he slips in a little thing that we don't like. <laughs> Do you notice what it is? What is it? And the fellowship of his. Oh, God. Why did you use that word? Sufferings. 
Why did you use that word? I mean, I can really, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know all that stuff. But why do you add the fellowship, sharing in <laughs> the sufferings of Christ? What is that about? That is so disappointing, God. Well, Paul is kind. And so he's trying to keep our feet on the ground. He's saying all of that is true. Those are wonderful, noble, incredible things that we're going we're gonna to experience in life. But there's this thing about Christian living that includes joy in sufferings. And Paul is trying to um, help us to see that. It's the power of God to accept what our lives are like, even when we feel like we have suffered the loss of all things. There's joy that comes in the middle of our sufferings. And Paul is saying... That's part of knowing Christ. How many of you have gone through a difficult time, and in the midst of your difficult time, you have felt the presence of God in your life in the most tangible and intimate way? You just know that Jesus is with you. How many of you? You see, that's what I'm talking about. We share in the sufferings of Christ, but even in the middle of the sufferings that we are experiencing, we know that Jesus is with us in the most profound way, and nothing can change that. Your friends can be cynical about it, but you know that it's true because you are experiencing it on the inside, and you have this deep joy that no one can rob you of and no one can take you away, and you know Christ, and you're in the sufferings, you are having fellowship with Him, and you know Him deeply, and you know Him intimately. Paul is saying that's part of the deal. And that's why he adds on, depends what translation it's, he says, becoming like Him in His death. That's why those two things go together the resurrection power, and the fellowships of the sufferings. Because in those, we become like Christ. That's what Paul is saying. They're connected. And what, what was it like for Jesus? Mockery, persecution, death on the cross, and then vindication, resurrection, the smile of His Father. If we're going to become like Jesus, that's, it's going to be like that for us. We're going to go through hard things, sufferings, persecution, and we are going to have the vindication. We are going to know the smile of the Father and His voice saying, Well done, Phil. That's what we live for. And so, the last thing I'd like to speak to you about, I said there were six. This is what Paul is saying. We will reach our resurrection reward. And I want to ask you to think about this as I preach this. What are you living for? Because Paul says here, I might attain the resurrection of the dead. So what does he mean when he says that? Well, Paul knows, and this is the Christian teaching, uh, heaven is not our final destination, right? Our final destination is a new heaven and a new earth. That's what the Christian teaching is. It's not living in this kind of spiritual heaven somewhere, paradise. That's Greek thinking. That's not Christian thinking. Christian thinking says at the end of time when Jesus comes back, there's going to be judgment for, for, for everybody and reward for some. And all of the people of the world are going to be resurrected. Some to judgment, those that believe in Christ for reward. This is the Christian teaching. This is what Christians believe. And so Paul is saying, when he says, I want to attain the resurrection, he's not saying I want to be resurrected from the dead because he, he knows everyone is going to be resurrected from the dead. 
He's saying something different. He is saying that he recognizes that when we are raised together with Jesus and we get a glorified body when Jesus comes back, there is reward for us, for those who believe by faith. That's why in other parts of the Bible, have you ever wondered why the Bible says, live your life in a way that is worthy of the resurrection? What, what does the Bible say when it says that? It means that when we get resurrected, not everyone gets the same reward. So live your life in a way that is worthy of what you're going to receive in the resurrection, in your glorified body. It's trying to motivate us to live for Christ, to live in a way that is different from the rest of the world. Because it's saying, Paul is saying, the Bible is saying that when we're resurrected in Christ, there's reward for us, for those that have lived by faith. And so, in a good way, it's stimulating a godly sense of ambition. I want to live for you, Jesus. I want to live to please you. Why? Because I know there's a reward for me. And somehow we've got it into our heads that living for reward is like unchristian. It's kind of a little bit... Materialistic? No, it's not that at all. Paul says, I'm living that I might attain the fullness. In other words, all of the reward that God has for me, I want to know when I'm glorified, in my glorified body. And so there's a prize to be won. And at this stage of his life, Paul knows that he hasn't yet won the prize. It's wonderful to look at uh, when he writes to Timothy, he says, at the end of his life, he says, what does he say? I have run the race. I've been faithful, and now what awaits me is the price. Yeah, he's saying, no, I haven't yet got that. Towards the end of his life, he's saying, no, I've run God's race for me. I want to be able to do that one day. I, I don't know how I'm going to die. I hope it's going to be um, peacefully. I would prefer it in my bed. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to die. But I'd, I do want to hear God's voice to me say, well, one day say, and well done. Here's your reward. All that you've done for me, here's your reward. So what brings out this thing of Paul saying he's living for the highest honor from God is a very interesting word because he uses, when he speaks about resurrection, in the Bible when it usually, when it speaks about resurrection, the usual word is a Greek word called anastasis. Anyone heard of that? Anastasis, that Greek word. That means resurrection. Paul says, uses ex-anastasis here. Why do I say that? Because it's the most, it's the strongest possible way of saying something in the Greek. And that's what Paul is trying to say. He, he's trying to bring us to our attention that actually, at the end of the day, Christians, not everybody gets the same reward. That's what he's trying to get our attention. Say, live your life that you get the best reward from God possible. Don't just, not everyone's going to get the same reward. In other words, it's like at night when, uh, when, you, when we were in Holland, the stars were beautiful. I don't know why, but actually... Maybe it wasn't, there wasn't so much light. But you can see the stars. And what, what is the thing that you notice at night? Some stars shine brighter than others. You can see some stars more clearly. That's the image that Paul is using. He's saying when it comes to our reward, there are some stars that are going to shine brighter than, the, than, than others. Live your life so that you are a bright star and you receive the reward of a bright star one day. Live for the highest honor. You see, for me, I've tried to encourage our church, all of you, that you are free in Christ. <laughs> that you don't please God by behaving well. You already please Him. Even when you were a dirty, rotten scoundrel like me, 
Even though when you were dead in your sins, God loved you and he was pleased with you and he lavished his grace on you and he plucked you out of the mire that you were in. He placed your feet on solid ground and he said, my son, I have a future for you. That's how good God is. We don't get to do stuff for God in order to try and please him and win his approval. We already have his approval, but we want to experience joy with him one day in the resurrection. We, we want to live for a glorified future with him. And that's what Paul is trying to encourage us. That's why we do anything. We do things because we love God with all of our hearts and because we know that this is not the end. There's something coming that is far more glorious and that's what we're living for. So my, my encouragement to you is, as I finish. Can, can we, all of us, admit what motivates us? And what is not of God that motivates us, can we learn together to count all of those things as rubbish, as loss, so that we can know Christ? That's the invitation. You know, God never forces you to do anything. Even a prophetic word, even when God gives you a prophetic word, it's an invitation to you to walk with Him so that that thing comes into fruition. And that's how it is in all of our lives. God invites us and says, will you journey with me? Will you learn to hear my voice? Because I've got so much more for you. Do you want to know me? And then as we begin to journey with the Spirit, that begins to be the reality of our life. So what motivates us? Let's, let's be honest about what motivates us. Let's throw off those things that are not godly. And let's, let's commit to live with an eternal sense of destiny. You know, the world wants to suck you into its view of reality. <laughs> I, love, I love much about this world. But one thing I, I don't like is that this is actually the end. This is as good as it gets. Just live selfishly, live like this, because this is as good as it gets. I want to say, no way. No way. This is not as good as it gets. There's much more glory awaiting for us that love Jesus. And that's why we live differently. That's why we live with different values. That's why we live with a different sense of calling and destiny. Because we know there is a reward that Christ has for us. There is a resurrection awaiting all of those that we, about, who live by faith. And we want to attain. We want to attain the best, most glorious resurrection one day. This is the Christian teaching. This is what the Bible teaches about resurrection and about life with Christ. So, I want to ask the worship guys to come up. And I want to just spend a little time praying for people. You know, maybe, maybe you feel like some of the things I've said you can't identify with. Well, I want to encourage you. That if you need boldness to be a witness, the Holy Spirit can give you that boldness. If you need the power in your life, the resurrection power to say no to some things in your life, God wants to give you that power. If you don't know the will of God for your life, God wants to you to know His will for your life. These are part of resurrection power. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you're someone that's never come to a place of faith, Jesus wants you to come to that knowledge that you are a son you are a daughter. 
I'd love to pray with you, that you would know, in your knower, that you are a child of God, that no one can take that away from you. Yes? These are all part of resurrection power. These are all part of what Paul is saying when he says, I want to know Christ, the power of the resurrection, and that all of us can have joy in our lives regardless of the circumstances. As we share in the fellowship of his sufferings, so why? So we might attain a glorious resurrection one day.